My teacher asked me to write a story. My story about the pandemic. I didn't even know pandemic was a word. But now that's all I hear and think. Everything has changed. I can't play with my friends. I feel things I don't know how to say. But I now know how Bluey feels. Stuck in a bowl. I have to stay six feet away from everyone. The pandemic has made the whole world lonely and sad. I miss my meme mom so much. I really want to give her a hug, but I can't. I'm scared. But my mom says, now's not the time to be scared. Now's the time to believe. Believe that even though the world's broken, there's still hope. Hope that something good can come out of this. Hope that this will make us closer and teach us how to love better. Now's the perfect time to be a light in the darkness because we need each other more than ever. So I make masks for my neighbors. I show kindness. I pray. And I never forget to wash my hands. I used to think that 2020 was the worst year ever invented. It gave us a lot of rules and a new normal. But now I see, it also showed us how much we all need each other. And it showed us that we should never give up on hope. Cause no storm could last forever. And the day after a rain is always the most beautiful. Pandemic. It's now a part of all our stories. And like all good stories, there's some sadness but always hope. Morning, church. You believe there's always hope? Yeah, we do. Because he walked out of a tomb, and that matters. We're living in some strange times, aren't we? And so I thought it would be appropriate to remind us that if you're a follower of Jesus or giving serious thought about becoming one, that you need to get used to strange. We're studying the life of a young man by the name of Peter who was an absolute expert at living as a stranger in the world. For those of you who've studied Peter before, no doubt you've read his letters that are collected in what we know as the New Testament. And you know that when he was younger, the guy made some really terrible decisions. He was impatient. The guy didn't listen well. Multiple times he overpromises and underdelivers, and God records those in, our, in his book for us. But on the heels of those bad decisions, he writes a letter to us, and in it he says... Here's how you can learn from my mistakes. The first step, he says, is not repeating them. The second thing you can do is, with God's help, improve on them. Here's his own words. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy 
in everything that you do, just as God who chose you is holy. The scriptures say, you must be holy because I'm holy. Now, even in church, that's not a word that we use a lot, is it? It's a word that usually gets attached with something having to do with a holy place or with holy water or with a holy Bible or with a holy day. But you're going to hear Peter today use the word holy not to refer to a place or not to a thing, but to a person, to you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Peter's going to say, believe it or not, you can be holy. Let's pray about that. Father, we come to you this morning, and we hope you've heard our hearts as we celebrated how holy you are. You promised that if we would gather, just two or three of us, that you would be there in a very special way, and you've made that clear this morning. You've been faithful to that. Thank you. We know we're not the only ones who have experienced your holy presence. Um, We know Hosanna Lutheran Church, who's meeting also today, has done that. Thank you, Father, for being faithful to wherever people are gathered, for those that are at home right now. Father, our hearts hurt that they're not here and that because of this virus, this pandemic, they don't feel comfortable gathering with us yet. We pray that you give them rest and peace, that you truly do help them know how much we miss them being with us, and that as soon as possible they can join us again. Oh, God, this has been, these are some strange, strange times. But we want to hear your call this morning to be strange in these times. In your son's name, who is the king of strange, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Now, before I just let us in prayer, I made the statement that we can be holy. Actually, Peter says this, you must. <laughs> it's a pretty strong word. You must be holy. Peter said, if you want the world to know that Jesus has changed your life, holiness is not an option. That if you want to make sure that some way, somehow, you can help draw them into a relationship with Jesus, it's by living a holy life. That's, that's key. Now, the Bible uses terms that sometimes the rest of the world doesn't use, and so I want to unpack what this word holy means a little bit. The word actually means just set apart. It means to separate. It means distinct. It means different. Strange, but in a good way. We want to say strange, but in a God way. Peter's saying you used to think of your life and the world around you the way that everybody else does. However, you're following Jesus now. And this means that you can expect in several areas of your life that your choices as well as your relationships are going to look very different, very distinctive, even strange to those around you who are not following Christ and have no interest in it at all. He says don't be surprised by that because Jesus was a stranger to this world. He caught people off guard all the time. And as a representative of his, so will you. Now, he almost uses drill sergeant language here. You must be holy, he says. It's an expectation. Distinctive is an expectation. Being seen as strange in your culture is an expectation. Listen to me, not an exception. On our kids' bulletin, (laughs) I've asked our kids to name the most holy person that they know. Here's a question for you. Would your name make their answers? Would you even care that they would? If not, Kerrville, we have a problem. Peter's right. Because for many of us, if we're honest, it's really not a goal of ours to be holy. And I'd like to help with that a little bit. Why don't we want to be holy? Because actually, early on when we were younger, we found out that trying to be different, trying to be an exception, trying to be distinctive rather than blend in, 
can get you hurt, maybe not hurt, unfriended would be a good word for our culture. We learned that when I wore my ropers to school and every other guy was wearing Jordans, that you could get called weird. We learned that when you wore your WWJD bracelet, when everybody else was just wearing their watches, um, we could be called a loser. When you wore your one piece in the swimming party, everybody else was wearing their bikini, you were called a nun, and that kind of stung. On the track trip, you passed on a drink of whiskey from your buddy's flask as y'all were riding to the track meet, and you were called a priest, and it stung to be different. Nobody applauded. Nobody gave you a high five. No one made you feel more important for being different. And so you decided right then that I'm going to fit in with the crowd rather than run against the pack. And even as an adult, we're still tempted to do that because different isn't just hard. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it costs you money. Sometimes it costs you friends. Sometimes it costs you promotions. Jesus in his experience with this says, I know, it cost me too which is why some choose to follow Jesus undercover. That's why some choose to follow Jesus in isolation, because they don't want anybody knowing. They've read the Scriptures, and they realize that God's called them to be different, and they just don't want to be. Well, Peter's encouraging us to to choose a different option. You see, Jesus demonstrated with his life, you can only rescue people by being among them, by being connected to them. But you don't have to be like them. That's kind of the takeaway from today. You've got to be with people, You've got to get connected with them, engage with them in order to rescue them, in order to help save them. But you don't have to be like them. And that's always a challenge. I'm telling you, it has been for me. When I was a young preacher, and I was trying then to build bridges into to some young men's lives, I did a little hunting with them, went to their houses for coffee or to, uh, to some coffee place for coffee. And sometimes I hung around with them so much that their rough language, and there was some rough language rubbed off on me. Every now and then, Gail would notice that that had crept into my vocabulary a little bit, and she'd say, you've been hanging around Jordan a little too much, haven't you? I'm not proud of that, but their language influenced me, not my language influencing them. And Peter would say, a holy preacher doesn't do that. No, Peter would say, a holy Christian doesn't settle for that, and I didn't, and I'm trying not to. No, I'm afraid the culture influencing us rather than us influencing them has always been a hazard for any Christian in the world anywhere. And so sometimes when we fall prey to that, we've just got to confess it, ask God's forgiveness, and try to get some help to get over it. Because we're human. We're in process. We're prone to standing with the current crowd rather than standing for Jesus when there's a contrast. But church, Peter's emphasizing to have influence in this world, we have to be different from the world. Amen? Didn't really, I didn't think I was going to get a strong with it. Let me try. Peter's saying to have influence in our world, we've got to be different from the world. Amen? Yeah. It's called holy. That's what holy means. Separate, distinct, different. I brought this with me in my pocket because I don't have a lot of room up here right now. Imagine me taking this light bulb and dipping it into some black paint. Well, that would be kind of odd, wouldn't it? It would almost destroy the purpose of the light bulb if it worked. Let's just assume that this works, all right? Folks, when we were baptized, something radical took place. God, who was an enemy to us, became family, close family, holy family. And as holy, he begins to to, to move into the nooks and crannies of our lives and starts cleaning out darkness, the blackness of our lives. And he gives us a new name, and he forgives our failures and and our shame-filled choices that we've made. And with the Holy Spirit's help, there's that word holy again, with distinctive, different help, than the world has at its disposal. He begins 
to push the darkness out of us so that his light can shine through us, right? So it doesn't make sense, Peter's trying to say, that once we're forgiven and once we clean up the process, or once the cleanup process begins, that we would want to complicate our lives by trying to bring darkness back inside, that we would want to return to the black paint. Let me put this another way. Guys, imagine your daughter's getting married and she comes to you and I mean she's all excited and you actually like the guy. And she shares that excitement with you and, and actually says, I'd like for you and mom to come pick out a dress. And so y'all both go and you pick out this dress that's got these black handprints all over it. You say, well, Jimmy, that's absurd. Yeah, it would be. Or, or let's decide if, if Governor Abbott invites me this afternoon to, to go down to Dickie's with him and have some barbecue. I'd love to go to Bill's, but Bill's is closed on Sundays. But we go down to Dickies to have some barbecue. I say, wait, 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 wait. Before we go in, I want to run over here to the dumpster and just kind of roll around in it for a little bit before we have lunch, okay? You're saying, come on, sportsman, that's just absurd. It's ridiculous. Why would you trash what's a treasure? That's what Peter's trying to say. Why would a treasure of God's want to go back to the trash of their old lives? I would argue that every single one of your lives in here matters a whole lot more than a bulb or a dress or a dinner with an important person. This is Peter's thinking. He says, if God's made you holy, then get rid of the feelings of hatred in you. Don't just pretend to be good. You be done with dishonesty and jealousy and talking about others behind their backs. Now that you realize that you, now that you realize how kind the Lord has been to you, put away all evil, put away deception, put away envy, put away fraud. Oh, instead, you long to grow into the fullness of your salvation. How so? Will you cry for this like a baby cries for milk? Boy, that had new meaning for me a couple of weeks ago. Some of you too. Peter's not saying to a watching world, y'all need to live like this. Some people talk like that. Some people preach like that. Y'all need to fix yourselves. Y'all need to get away from that garbage. No, what he's talking to is Christians, to treasures. He's saying, what are you doing trashing your lives with the stuff that, that Jesus has brought you out of? He's saying, we need to live like this. I love this picture up on the screen for a lot of reasons. But mainly I love it for the story that's behind it. The gentleman there is a state trooper from West Virginia. He pulled over a car that was swerving across multiple lines of traffic. Once he got that thing stopped and assessed the situation, he realized that mom and dad in the front seat were on heroin. Sitting in the back seat in this was this little baby, but what he was sitting in was his own vomit and a diaper that looked like it hadn't been changed in days. The trooper could have just dismissed that and handed the baby over to CPS, but he didn't. Took the little baby back to the trooper station, fed him, cleaned him up, Gave him a different experience with adults than maybe he'd had in his entire life. I'd say he made his day. Now that story impacts me because that's what God did for me. He found me hungry for more than this world could satisfy. He found me sitting in the filth of my own sin. He took responsibility for it saying, Jimmy, I will do something for you you can't do for yourself. I'm going to clean you up and I'm going to put you in a place where you can truly live. And just as it would break that trooper's heart, I guess, to hear that this baby grew up to choose heroin to put in his veins, I have to believe that our Father's heart breaks even more to know that we would put the unholy in our hearts. Friend, if you hear Peter saying, get rid of, and the list that he gave us a few moments ago, the lies and the, and the defrauding people and the hate and the jealousy and the gossip, if you hear that as a have to, if you hear that as a duty, Peter would say, no, this is a gift. You don't want this filth in your life. Peter says, the stuff that I've just mentioned is like getting rid of cancer. It's like getting rid of a bad tooth or an infection. You, you, you want to never have any of that back in your life if you have any choice no matter whatsoever. And he says, you do. 
Don't let anybody convince you otherwise that, that I'm sorry, that's just what you, you're like because you're Irish or it's because you're an American or because you're a Carvillian or whatever. Don't just let anybody push you into some box and say, you can't become what God's asking us to become because we can by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, there's that word again, holy. Peter goes on to say, but you are God's chosen ones, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, every single one of us who are in Christ, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do His work and to speak out for Him to tell others of the night and day difference He's made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Wow, sounds like the guy's tasted some of that himself. And he has. And he's grateful in his heart for what Jesus has done to him. And he's saying, the change we want to see in the world, Christians, has to start with us. And the great news is, the Holy Spirit can help us be exactly that. Be holy. Now, maybe you're asking this, maybe you're not. But I did as I was writing the letter. But Jimmy, does it matter? <laughs> really? If I'm holy? Does it really matter if people see God transforming my life? Well, has it matter seeing Danielle Redland's life get transformed? Or Paul Mosley's? Or Lynn Lawrence's? Or Ty Taylor's? Or Gene Coleman's? It has to me. Can I just be bedrock honest with you? I don't know that I would still be a Christian if it was just for the fire insurance. But you point me to people who have been transformed into something they couldn't be any other way without him, you got my full attention. It's hard for people to change. Those of us trying, say amen. Thank you. It's hard to change, but when you see it, you know something's going on there. Peter's saying the Holy Spirit in your life is something going on there. If you want to tune in and give him freedom to work in that life, if you want to keep some areas to yourself and you don't want him to get into, he won't. He respects you, but he'll work in every area that you want him to. Why would those in our culture, far from God, want to consider a change in who's running their show if it hasn't made much of a difference in my show? Trust me, they're watching. Which is why getting the divorce with Gail was so painful in my life. It's painful in a lot of ways. I got F on the big assignment in my, biggest assignment of my life ever, a marriage. I got F in being the kind of father that I wanted to be. I got F in leading a church, in believing that with God all things are possible. I got F in a lot of ways, but I also got F in some ways that most people didn't really think about or care about. I got F with some people who were watching me closely outside of Christ. And they thought, if he can't help them through his mess, how can he help me with mine? So part of my prayer has been since God's restored our marriage and restored me to ministry again, give me the chance, Father, if I, if I can, in a roundabout way or in a specific way, help those that I hurt with my poor witness, with my unholy decision, to see that that was either just my weakness or to see that you've taken that weakness and you turned it into a strength even better. My influences are either moving people closer to Christ or my influences are moving them further away. None of you in here is neutral. Not a one of you. So here's the question for the week I want you to take home. Is my behavior a bridge or is it a barrier to those who are far from God right now? To the teens that I run with, to the people in my bridge group that aren't Christians, to the people on my soccer team, people in the, in the school system that I work with, the people at my office, are, are your behaviors drawing them closer to becoming a Christian or, or pushing them further away? I hate to think of people watching me sometimes, don't you? I do, but they are. At the end of the day, I want them watching. I do want them to see the transformation I've seen in others. I really, really do. So that's why I'm asking God, I, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every day I need you. The words from one of my favorite songs right now, Holy Water. I need you. And I don't want to abuse your grace, but God, I need it every day. I need you. Lord, I need you. I saw this picture on the internet. It shows two dogs that had run away from home. One of them fell down into a cistern. 
and the other wouldn't leave him there. It happened on the island of Vashon in Washington State. The story says for days both of these dogs were missing. Tilly's on the outside there. Phoebe's on the inside of this abandoned cistern. Tilly the dog stayed there and wouldn't leave except for one thing, and that was to, to run away to a small farm close by and to bark at anybody that she could see there and then come back and sit with Phoebe. Farmer's wife saw Tilly, thought she was just a stray, but when she came back two times, three times, she recognized something weird was going on, and it just so happened that morning on Facebook she saw a post that said, if you've seen a reddish dog and a basset hound, they're lost and we're looking. She called up the owner and she said, I haven't seen the basset hound, but I think I've seen your reddish dog. And so the lady came over, and it just so happened that Tilly made her way back to the farm that day and started barking. And the two followed Tilly to the ravine where Phoebe was in the cistern. And you can probably figure out the rest of the story. Phoebe was rescued. I'd like for everyone to do me a favor and just say, ah. If you read the first page of the book that we know is the Bible, God says to Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. And so he created Eve. He created another because we need each other. And so when I have the misfortune, sometimes the actual intentional choice of getting myself into a cistern, I need help getting out. I need you. And, God forbid, you get yourself into a cistern of a problem, you're going to need my help or someone close to us who can't help. We need each other. There's an interdependence that God has placed among us on purpose to help us live a holy life. Peter goes on to say this, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and strangers, keep away from worldly desires that rage war against your very souls. You be very careful to live properly among the unbelieving neighbors, those around you who are trapped inside their own personal sisters. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your horrible behavior, they will see your honorable behavior, mixed, wrong word, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Wow, with the Spirit's help, he's saying, I can do that? Yeah. That my life has influence? Yeah, and so will yours, friend. So, be holy with your words. What Peter said, when you say you're going to do something, follow it up. Be truthful. Don't, don't be deceptive about that. Uh, instead of tearing people down and thinking that's cute, <laughs> just kidding, why not be one of those who when they see you walking in, you see their face light up because they know they're going to get the gift of being built up, not torn down. Let your words be holy. Um, guys, will you make sure your eyes are holy? Will you keep your eyes from focusing on a woman's body for pleasure if she's not your wife? Jesus strongly, strongly speaks to men saying, uh, the sexualizing of women or the objectifying of women is wrong. It is not what I intended when I gave you those eyes. Lusting after a woman, he says, is on par with committing adultery. Hello. So I'm asking you, will you keep your eyes holy? Ladies, will you help us men in that department by not sexualizing your body and making it an object to be focused on? Will you keep your clothing holy, please? Peter in his letter says on holiness to women, your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold or jewelry or fine clothes, but rather it should be that of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way that holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. Did you hear that word? I remember the good old days when women sure dressed a whole lot more conservative and a whole lot more modest than they do now. That was going on 2,000 years ago. And next picture. They wore tents. You mean to tell me that guys were struggling with lust seeing a woman in a tent like that? Wow. They would really struggle in our country, wouldn't they? Because our women don't wear tents. A lot of them wear gloves. 
Isn't that what the modern yoga pants and spandex are? They're just a, a glove. Peter asked Christian women to be strange, to be distinctive, to be different from the culture and how they dress. Now, rather than me describing what I think is equivalent in this culture, well, I guess I did kind of, sort of. Um, let me ask the ladies, would you please give some time in prayer and some thought to what would be distinctive and different and holy when you go out in public around me, around Clay, around Rick? Here's the deal. Because God asks us to look at you as sisters. And that's hard to do when what you're dressed in is sexual in nature. It's hard. <laughs> the biggest struggle I had with my girls as a dad was here. Man, trying to invite them into a holy life, trying to lead them into a holy life. Our biggest battle centered around clothes. Now, it was probably different from most of your families, but it did in ours, all right? Try to just stretch your imagination. It was so hard to make them think about what God would have them wear, not what their friends were wearing that they wanted to be a part of. They wanted to wear underwear to swim in. I told them that when they were willing to go shopping with me in that same underwear, they could swim in it. Now, some people might call that a bikini. Here's what I told my girls. Just because you add water to a bikini doesn't change it from underwear. Now, I told them that. I would never tell any of y'all that. I also told them that the word modest means not to draw attention to. And I so taught my girls that what pieces of clothing they wore often drew attention to parts of their bodies meant to be seen and focused on only by their husbands. Wouldn't wear that. They heard me say, at least twice growing up in our home. Your husband should be the only one who sees that part of your body, not the world. I told them, I'm sorry if your friends wear clothes that leave nothing to the imagination, that are actually more alluring than they are, sometimes nakedness. I'm not talking to your friends, I'm talking to my daughters, who were my sisters in the faith as well. Now again, I would never tell any of you ladies this, I, I would only say this to my daughters, or to my sisters. Much has been said in the last 10, 15, 20 years about the temptation of pornography to men. And you know what it needs to be, because it's rampant. But not far from that are the women who are giving in to the temptation to be immodest. And with God's help, I just want to encourage you, sisters, you can be different. You can be unique. You can be holy in your dress and how the opposite sex sees you. Now, you know your brother who's talking to you this morning is anything but an old stick in the mud. I hope so. But please help me treat you like a sister that you deserve to be treated like, not like a sex object that you could be. Are your clothes a barrier or a bridge? Are your words a barrier or a bridge? Are your actions a barrier or a bridge? And if this makes you uncomfortable, I can't apologize. And the reason is because when Peter writes these words, and I guarantee you when he read them in Cappadocia or Bithynia, wherever those letters were written, it made some women who were in that audience that morning wearing gold, and their hair was braided, a little uncomfortable. And it made some men in that auditorium who that morning were harsh with their wife instead of helpful to their wives, uncomfortable when he says, you need to treat her like you would treat Christ. So I don't apologize for making anybody uncomfortable because the scriptures almost always do that, don't they? They're almost always bad news before they're good news. They have been in my life. But as Christians, we don't run away from difficult words. We run to them because we know that God's got our best interest in them. So friend, I just want to say one more time, God wants to have a holy influence on your eyes and on your hearts and on your clothing and on your words. But you know what? The last thing I'm going to say is he wants to have an influence on your love. And you don't even have to be a Christian to realize how important love is in the world, Right? And it is. But there is something unique. There is something different. Or at least there should be about Christian love. Because the one who is the the model for that sacrificed because of his love. Here's what Peter says. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. Reference to the cross. 
reference to that sacrifice. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. You love each other deeply with all your heart. Now that's holy. And rather than say any more words about that, could I just for a moment show you holy? You got to see a picture of strange this morning from that strange little girl, that wonderful little girl. Let me give you a chance to see holy, okay, when it comes to sacrificial love. That kind of love is strange in this world. The kind of love that goes and adopts someone that's not in your family line, that, that goes outside your, your color, who just wants to help some, someone who can't help themselves have a better life. And that's really what God's asking us to do with each other. How do you do that, Jimmy? Three quick things. Surrendering your choices. That's where it starts. So they're not my choices anymore. They're God's choices. You were bought with a price, Paul says. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Glorify God with your words. Glorify God with your thoughts. Glorify God with your eyes. Glorify God with your clothes. Glorify God with everything. It's his. He says it this way in Romans 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Plead. Give your bodies to God because, all he's, because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way that we worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and then you'll learn to know God's will for you, what's good and pleasing and perfect. He says it just this succinctly in another place. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you wear or what you say, do it all for the glory of God. Number two, holy lives come from surrendering. Holy lives come from hiding. Wait a minute, Jim. You just said a few moments ago that, that undercover Christians are really not what God's looking for. Not, not you hiding, hiding his word in your heart. David says this, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not be unholy, might not sin, might not break your heart. And ask you how to get your phones out, but we're running out of time, so let me just say this. On the average, 3,500 hours this year are going to be spent looking at that phone. 3,500 hours. Would you just take a small portion of that time? I'm not talking about saying, put your phones away, give them away, don't use them. I'm saying, would you take a small portion of that time to look up his word on that phone and so that that place that you spend so much time on has at least a place of his word in your life. I know you've got a Bible, and I hope you use it, but I, I'm asking you, those of you who are on that phone, would you, would you make that a place there for his word to be in your heart? Would you hide it there? And then number three, would you give some attention to what you're following? Jesus is going to say this, a disciple is not greater than his teacher, but everyone fully trained will be like his teacher. doesn't matter who your teacher is. You're going to be like him. That's why I've been encouraging you. Make sure Jesus is the one that you're following. Uh, but that's sometimes it's hard. So here's what I'm going to say this morning. Find you somebody who's holy that would be on the answer to your question if you've got the kids' bulletin. Find someone who's holy and follow them. Tony Marino was one of the guys that I followed. When I lived in, in Rudeau, so for 21 years, Tony Marino was in my life literally almost the second week that I was there because I had a car problem and Tony was a mechanic. But Tony wasn't just a mechanic. He used to race professionally for Honda motorcycles. He also used to sell his paintings professionally in California. He also was a a missionary who left to South America with no funds from any, any Americans or any churches. Just he and another brother went to South America to proclaim the gospel and trusted God to provide for his every need for, listen to me, seven years. Are you hearing different? Are you hearing a little strange? He was the, the best mechanic I've ever been around in my life when it came to diagnosing problems. But more than anything about Tony, besides the, the motorcycle riding and besides the paintings and besides the missionary thing, he just exuded joy. Exuded joy. He couldn't wait to serve you. Couldn't wait to have you in his home for a meal. And just decided to make him one of the teachers of my life. Taught me more about the Holy Spirit than I had ever known before. Much of what you know about the Holy Spirit through me has come from, yes, God's word, but also because of what I saw in Tony Marino's life. Who are you following? 
Will you make sure, please, that they're holy? Please? Because you must, using Peter's words here, be holy. Is that easy? Heavens, no. Not in this culture. Not in this culture. But I can tell you this, it's rich. It's living. Because God would invite you into anything that wasn't life to the full stuff. And it's going to be rewarded. You have his word on that. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning and we realize that um, you're the only one who's truly holy. And it stuns us to think that you could invite us to be like you in that respect. I'm asking that you truly fill this room, this, these people, my brothers and sisters, and those who are thinking about becoming followers of Christ. Would you, would you come and move among us today and help us to leave here with a hunger for the things that are holy? Because you're holy. Father, as we uh, come, come to the table, we come this morning with, uh, with some things we want to let go of. Some things that we want to ask you to please forgive to help us remove in our lives and not, help, not, not turn back to because they are anything but holy. And we're glad that you welcome us to the table with dirty hands. So we're asking you, will you please, like you did in our baptism, wash those hands, wash those hearts, wash, wash us clean. Will you help us remember our baptism, that we died to that sin so that you could raise us to walk into a newness of life. That we, that we now have the hope of being adopted into your family forever and getting to live in your presence forever. Bring that day soon, Lord. But will you remind us of that as we, we, we break this bread together? And Father, if you brought someone here today who, who hasn't been in on that but wants to be, would you help nudge them to find me or one of our elders here so that they too could become a brother or sister today? We, we ask you to truly help us leave here more holy than when we walked in. We ask us in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing, church.